the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network. I'm sending uh, two of our best writers uh, over to Israel uh, this week, and I would ask that you would cover them in prayer. Uh, as it is, uh, it could be very dicey. Next next week is the 75th anniversary. We open the U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem next week. Palestinians are not happy with this. Uh, also, we are on the verge of, I think, pulling out of the Iranian deal, which will not make the Iranians and, and those in the Middle East happy. Um, we're just in a very precarious situation here in the next few days. And we want to remember... You know, why Israel is there in the first place? 75 years. It's the first 75 years that the Jewish people have had a place to call home where no one could take their guns. No one could say, no, 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 you you have to live over here. Or, no, no, no. They, for the very first time in 2,000 years, they have control over their own life. And everyone has a, has a right to defend themselves. You can't, re- I don't think you can understand the importance uh, to the Jewish people of their own homeland, unless you go through uh, Auschwitz or or one of the concentration camps, and you realize that that wasn't the first time. That was, I think, the twenty fourth time that there had been an extermination attempt of the Jews. Um, there is a um, a filmmaker. Uh, his name is John Keane. He has done uh, a couple of films, and he seems to be a really thoughtful guy that is searching. Uh, for more than just the regular story. Uh, and he's got a new film out. It's called After Auschwitz. And, it, and what it is, is it's a, it's a story of the women who came here to America. They survived. They came here and their life here in America and how they first perceived it, how they, they wept when they saw the Statue of Liberty. And then what their experience was like and how it was kind of left in the closet uh, for a very long time. John, welcome to the program. Oh, thanks so much, Glenn. I appreciate that. Sure. You're you're a guy who um, has taken on, I mean, you've taken a controversial uh, stance with, you know, swimming at Auschwitz, um, or or it was a controversial film, I should say, when it came out. Um, and now you're, you're uh, uh, embracing um, uh, this message, which I have never heard this angle before, and I think it's really important uh, for at least for Americans, what is it you're looking for? What is it you were? What is it you're looking for? Well, well, and and to just address the first thing real quick, I think swimming in Auschwitz. The only thing that was controversial about it was the fact that I was studying laughter as a survival tool. Yeah, and people thought I was maybe being uh, not not recognizing the horrors, which right. is farthest from the truth. Right. For this film, you know, we as we we tend to study history as just ending Holocaust thirty nine to forty five. You're free, go home. That chapter's over, move on. And we never stop to think about what happens next. And I think it's something that we do in our natural, our, our consciousness as a country. We tend to study something, study something, and then we just fly away to the next thing, you know, the ADD history. I think that we, uh, you know, this has been a fascination of mine. I think it's why we haven't really healed as a nation all of the wounds that we have to heal. Um, you know, after Lincoln was killed, we just moved on. After Martin Luther King was killed, we just kind of moved on. 
Right, and, right. If and, you don't have the conversations about what happened, about what you're facing, you don't move on. That's a th- that's a major theme of the film. So I remember the World War II generation. I'm old enough to have grown up with grandparents that lived through it, and they didn't want to talk about it. Uh, but your film, your film follows uh, th- these women who came here, and you know each led their own life. But they had kind of a different experience. It wasn't that necessarily they didn't want to. Nobody wanted to talk to them. Exactly. They wanted to talk. They came here assuming they would talk about what happened. And they were either told that what they did was wrong after liberation or, you know, hey, don't, don't talk about it. You're in America. Put it behind you as if everything could be okay by that. Um, it, 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 it's it's, it's a great sense of denial that they had to face for 35-plus years until we as a country started asking what happened. I was amazed to see in the in the film that it was really one of the things they talked about as, as a changing point in, in them talking about their experiences was a TV miniseries. Yeah. Can you, can yeah. you walk us through that? Well, there's a, there was a miniseries in 78 that came out on NBC called The Holocaust, Family of the Story Weiss. And it was NBC's response to Roots. Roots was so successful, NBC wanted their miniseries. So they, they commissioned this one because it was close to being ready on a different project. And that project not only changed America, it was the second highest program at that time, it changed Holocaust education in Germany. And the Germans started addressing their history as well because of that film. It's not a great film. It's very rudimentary, and, 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 but, but it, it, it started a conversation. So in Germany, do you think people didn't talk about it because, I mean, you, you didn't know, uh, you know, what you were going to find in your own family. If you weren't Jewish, you didn't know if you had a relative that was, you know, I don't want to ask mom and dad what they were, what they were thinking. Exactly. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, or grandpa. Yeah. Germany's a fa- I don't know if you've traveled to Berlin uh, or spent some time in Germany. It's a fascinating place because they have so many things to commemorate the Holocaust, so many monuments, so many buildings, but none of them have signage on them. It's like they've, 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 they've gone 90% of the way, but just can't do that last little bit. Even the Hitler bunker, um, there's no real signage to it. It's a sign facing away to a parking lot because they don't want to advertise it. They don't want to make it a, a flashpoint for something else. So it's barely recognized. You have to know what you're looking for. It's a fascinating place. So what did you find with these women? <laughs> I, I found they've made me a better person. They really have. They've made me look at life differently. I, I was in New York a few months ago, looked at the Statue of Liberty for the first time, and it meant something to me. I, I've been seeing the Statue of Liberty since I was born, and I've never had a visceral reaction to it. I did for the first time two months ago. Why? Because it meant something different to me. Now, it meant what it was intended to mean. It, it meant we, we are welcoming the, the tired and the poor, and I can't remember the whole poem now, and oh, I should. Yeah. <laughs> but before, it was just a place I went to for school field trips, or the place that you looked at across the, across the water when you were doing something else in New York. They've given me a perspective. I'm seeing, I see the world through different eyes, and that's what we need to do. We need to try to see what other people are seeing sometimes. Um, communication. Tell me, tell me, tell me about their their view of America before they got here, and then after they got here, and, and <laughs> started to to age some here. Right. Well, America was 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 the golden land. The streets were paved with gold. We live in castles. America was this was this fantasy to them, and and they got here, and you know you're living in Hoboken or you're living in Allentown or you're living in Detroit. And it's one foot in front of the other. It's no fantasy. It's just survival day to day. How do I pay my rent? 
Um, you lost almost the whole cast during the filming. Mm. This has taken you how long? Six, six years, seven years? The idea was 15 years in the making. The film itself was probably about four or five. And so, and, and, yeah. And so tell me, tell me about how you selected them and then how you lost them one by one. Yeah. That, it, you know, I, I started out for the first film, Swimming in Auschwitz, which I told you, laughter as a, as a survival tool. Didn't work as a movie, but I had 18 survivors on camera. The women stood out to me. I'd never heard stories of war from female point of view. And women, I'll generalize here, have much more emotional depth than men do. They tap into relationships, communication, and they're much more fun to interview, I find. Uh, you've interviewed more people than I have. Maybe you, you have a different, different take. No, I, I would agree with you. Yeah. Generally so speaking. The, the women just, just jumped off the screen to me. They're beautiful. Their stories are incredible. They're powerful. Uh, I just went with it, and I, you can't get away from it. When you find somebody who you're that tied to, you just can't get away. And, yeah, we've lost three. We have, uh, we have three ladies with us still. And, it, you know, we're, we're getting to this time where we're not going to have firsthand witnesses. It's a terrifying time. So we're doing all the work we can do now. So, I mean, kudos to you for getting, getting this story out there. We all, we've all got to tell this story while we have the witnesses. Yeah, you know, I, I, um, you know Tokyo Rose, I, I own her microphone. And, uh, uh, and, you know, when you know the story of Tokyo Rose, who was horribly wronged by the press here in the United States, uh, there were six or seven Tokyo Roses. The one we know was actually a patriot, and she served two prison sentences, one in, in Japan and one here, and uh, finally was pardoned in the 70s. Um, but it, uh, you know, when I really kind of found her story, she had only died about three years before. And I thought, man, my whole life I could have interviewed yeah. her. I could have talked to her. Yeah, and I, I, it's this yeah, new I, kind of feeling for me. On I, I want to talk to people who who lived it, whatever it was, I want to, they saw it with their own eyes. Tell yeah. me about it. I, that, you're, you're so right. You cannot ask questions of a grave. You cannot. So when you're with people, the other thing too is, oh, I don't want to ask the survivor that question. It might bring up the past. It might bring up bad memories. The past and bad memories are there. You don't have to bring it up. They, they yeah. have it in their blood. That's in their DNA. Yeah. But when you ask them a question, they are connected. They're connected to you. They're part of our world. They want... I've had questions with survivors about being next to a gas chamber, seeing your family walk into a, a, a gas chamber, about sex, about what, what you saw in camps, physicality, abuse. Um, in the film, we mentioned just the, just the rampant sexual abuse of women at Liberation. Yeah. These are heavy conversations to have, but they frame going forward when you see what people can become in their lives after what they've been through. We all move on from trauma. We all choose how we're going to move on from trauma. The resiliency is there. Yeah. You only learn that by asking questions. Yeah, there's it, nothing wrong with asking a question of somebody. They can always just say, "I'd rather not say." One uh, uncomfortable topic that you kind of talk, uh, cover is mm -hmm. the women come to the United States and they're not sure whether they want to build families here. Right. Uh, what, what What did you find? Well, why would you want to put a child into the world that did that to you? How can you protect that child ever? I, 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 don't know, I don't know if you have children, Glenn. I know when I, my kids were born, it's this odd feeling of I must, you know, pop a bear. I must protect these little helpless mm -hmm. beings. And I never had the Nazis knock on my door. Yeah. I, so have, they, I have four children, and it never gets easier. I'm still right. thinking that. They're, you know, my, right. my eldest is 30, and I'm still thinking that. <laughs> I'm still thinking yeah. that. Uh, so, so we all have that. They just have it in spades. Yeah. We're talking to, uh, we're talking to John Keeney. He's the director of uh, After Auschwitz. John, 
the movie obviously starts with such tragedy, right? One of the worst things yeah. that's ever happened on the planet. But do you consider it to be, in some ways, a happy movie? You know, I consider it to be a movie about life, and, and I choose to believe that life is happy. Um, have you, have you ever, I don't know if you were ever a fan of Jim Valvano. There's a speech that he makes uh, before he passes away, and he says, every day you should think, you should have your emotions move you to tears, mm-hmm. and you should laugh. Mm-hmm. He says, that's a heck of a day. Laugh, think, cry. And that's life. To me, that's life. Doing it all in a day is a long journey, but that's this film to me. I'm not scared of that. John, thank you. Thank you for making the film. Thanks for talking to us. Appreciate oh, it. I really appreciate you. Good talking to you. Good talking to you. AfterAuschwitz.com uh, is uh, where you can find out more about it. Uh, John Keane. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network.